0: I'm uh, Dave Deptula, Dean of the Mitchell Institute. And it's uh, my pleasure to introduce a really great panel today to discuss the Department of the Air Force's efforts on advanced battle management, which feeds into joint all domain command and control, or JADC2 for short. We've got Brigadier General Jeff Valencia, Valencia, excuse me, uh, Department of the Air Force ABMS cross-functional team lead, and Brigadier General John Olson. U.S. Space Force, C 2 ABMS lead. Now, my old friend, Randy Walden, Director of the Air Force Rapid Capabilities Office, had a last-minute pop-up and unfortunately isn't able to join us today. But these are the leaders, the Secretary of the Air Force, Frank Kendall, appointed as part of his operational initiatives to oversee the ABMS effort. So to put it directly, these are the Key folks on this critical topic. Mitchell Institute has long been an advocate of a more distributed approach to gathering real-time data, processing it into actionable information, and coordinating relevant actors to engage collaboratively in the battle space. In fact, the combat cloud, our original term for the concept, was the precursor to ABMS and JADC2. We remain committed to this vision, and it's fantastic to see the Department of the Air Force pursuing it so aggressively. Clearly, there are numerous challenges that have to be addressed to manifest this vision in an operationally reliable fashion. This is gonna be a crawl, walk, and run endeavor, and we need to make sure that we temper our ambition such that we don't kill the good enough in a quest for the perfect system that may prove overambitious in the near term. So it's important that we transition to these new command and control programs in a prudent fashion. We can't kill what works well enough today until we know future solutions are dependable and resilient. We also need to remember that this is gonna involve people and we need to ensure that we are taking care of the career fields and the people during the transition. The journey has already begun, and we're here today to understand just how it's progressing. So with that, let's kick off by hearing some initial perspectives on that progress from each of our guests, and then I'll jump into some specific questions. So General Valencia, why don't
1: we start off with you first? Yeah, thanks, sir. Thank you for this opportunity. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, and thanks for those opening remarks, um, as you do, you hit on some really difficult problems that we're trying to to take on. Uh, I'm gonna make this uh, I'm gonna make a very simple statement that I doubt anybody's going to disagree with me, which is how we make decisions and conflict um, doesn't work any longer. it's It's too slow, it's too vulnerable, and it's too stovepiped. and And what we've come to realize is, The Department of the Air Force's contribution to JADC2 through the Advanced Battle Management Systems Initiative is that unless we get after the speed, unless we get after the vulnerabilities, and unless we get after our stovepiped command and control systems across the whole of the both joint and coalition force, this likely could be the reason we lose in a major military conflict. And it doesn't begin in just how we can imagine how we're going to execute in a shooting war. It's how are we executing today in competition and that transition into and de-escalation and, if not, the defeat of an adversary through major military operations. And so what we had to do is we had to come up with what is our our theory of victory? Because to say that we're slow, to say that we're stovepiped, to say that we're vulnerable is a little bit of some dust statements, but we had to go do some deep analytical look. In 18 months ago, if you had asked us to show you the analysis of C2, we really would have had a blank whiteboard behind us. But there's some phenomenal work, particularly by the Secretary of the Air Force's strategic analysis team, is they've built some baseline tools that we now can see our decisions or inability to make a decision in very real terms. So I'll tell you what those tell us. They tell us that for us to make a dynamic decision in conflict, to target a a, a target of opportunity is we measure that timeframe in hours. Well, our adversaries know this, and so they've developed some really very effective shoot and scoot technologies that they can expose themselves in order to engage us and then very quickly disappear before we can close the kill chain. So how do we take a process that's stuck in hours and compress it down to a process that in some cases needs to be in seconds? The next thing is we looked at is the fact of our way which we communicate and share information is so strained by classification barriers system um, interoperability barriers, but just even the vulnerabilities of our adversaries to exploit or deny us the ability to communicate. So it's very quickly, we can take a very capable joint force and we can disaggregate them by our inability to share data across them. So it comes down to this. If we're gonna fix it, how are we gonna fix it? Well, it tells you three things. Number one is we believe that you're gonna have to be very disciplined in understanding command and control by creating separability between command and control. We can't tie those two into one. Now this isn't in all mission sets, which means in nuclear operations, I do not wanna separate the commander from the execution. But if I'm looking at defending a a force that's in the field and is under attack, What I can't do is create a system where a commander is making a play-by-play decision um, as we are executing. I need a control apparatus who simply can execute, which gets us into the second attribute. Is that control apparatus? We need to decouple it, and we need to distribute it. Today, we take sensors, information, communications, and the people who make these decisions, and we like to put them in a tent, or we put them in an airplane, put them in extraordinary vulnerable positions, and then we tell them, hey, do the best with what you have, which is oftentimes insufficient. Well, technology has allowed us now to imagine a world where we don't have to rely on the sensor that's sitting on top of my airplane anymore. In fact, I can start to aggregate sensing data from multiple sources. We also are starting to develop the technology that my communications can be more distributed. I can start using space-based communications. So now I don't need that direct line of sight tie to be the only dependent way in which I can exchange information. And as we start thinking about distributed information processing, you can imagine a world where what battle management looks like today, looks very, very different tomorrow. But here's the great thing. By tomorrow, I'm not talking about 10 or 20 years. I'm talking about tomorrow. We are already implementing tools that we have and TTP changes in order to start forcing this disaggregation of our control. And finally, we got to integrate them. We think about it horizontally and vertically. Horizontally, we got to integrate it as in our processes have to be able to talk to each other. They don't today. We also need our systems vertically to be able to talk to each other. And so that's our theory of victory. What ABMS is unpackaging is exactly what does it mean to separate command from control? What's it mean to distribute battle management? And what's it mean to integrate ourselves vertically and horizontally? So that's where we sit today.
2: Very good. General Olson. Well, thank you for the opportunity to be here. It's really a pleasure. This is a topic that's near and dear to both of our hearts. You know, as we look at the Department of the Air Force, really, uh, if you look at the domain responsibilities, air, space, and cyber. And so as we look at uh, the depth and breadth, the tyranny of distance, and the volumetrics are, 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 are incredible. And so in the context of uh, uh, Spaniards' excellent, uh, excellent uh, kind of introductory comments here, from a Space Force perspective, we view ourselves both as an enabler both supporting and supported, And so when we look at it from a command and control perspective, we really see from a space perspective, two different types of space command and control or battle management and command and control. And I think before I dive into that, I should just underscore to the fact that space is now a contested environment. We've, we've had a period uh, of of transition and and for the past at least a decade, uh, we've had an increasing uh, set of challenges and risks to our operations there. And we know that space uh, space is fundamentally important to our modern way of both our economic life, uh, from weather and position navigation and timing to imagery, to communications. Um, but also it's it's essential to our way of warfare, both in competition in the gray zone. Uh, in crisis and conflict, and our adversaries have been watching us, and they're uh, they've been very astute and asymmetrically building to offset our strengths. And so, as we look at that environment, we really see space C two or space battle management, command and control, having two elements. The first is in space, so space command and control for the in space conflict uh, that will uh, that will we hope uh, be one which is uh, very. Uh, very comprehensive from a a a multi-system capability. Essentially, uh, General Raymond, as the chief of space operations, is driving towards resilient and effective uh, architectures writ large. And to be resilient, that means multi-orbits, multi-systems, both hybrid, um, hybrid space architecture, which is both government and commercial, as well as digital and physical. So that's That's a little bit of insight there, but SPACE-C2 is that in-space command and control, and then we also have the space command and control for all the rest of the joint coalition forces across the multi-domain spectrum. So when we look at those, those are two different but very interrelated components of space command and control, which is part of the broader Department of the Air Force Advanced Battle Management System control, or or, or ABMS, which is is, is all about distributed battle management, commanded control. When we look at that and we see the tyranny of distance uh, in in the Indo-PACOM theater, when we look at uh, the distributed or disaggregated agile combat employment kind of uh, concepts that will will be required in that arena and elsewhere across the globe, it really brings into, into stark uh a glaring uh, importance how critical space from a space data transport perspective from a space sensing perspective from a space networking as well as space command and control so that's how we really look at it from a space perspective but we we, we aren't one service unto our own it's absolutely within the department of the air force the air and space and uh, cyber elements of those domains that, that uh, we're looking through the ABMS cross-functional team and the, and the DAF RCO uh, as the acquisition and technical uh, aspect of, of, of our integrated approach. That's how we're driving uh, an integrated look to make sure we got the operational requirements, we're testing, we're evaluating those, we're experimenting because this is really complex. But like I said earlier, we've been spending, we, we, you know, we've 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 got a long history and rich uh, database of lessons learned the hard way through experience. And yet in space where we're newly contested, this is this is a nascent field where from a command and control and a battle management perspective, we really got kind of a a much cleaner sheet or greener field. And so these are these are tough challenges, they're integrated challenges. When we look across the joint coalition and alliance. Uh, spectrum. These are challenging, but we look forward to tackling those. And I think, um, as, as as Spaniard and I will will outline more fully today. This is absolutely about driving forward with operations and solutions. This is no longer about rhetoric and being ambiguous. This is about getting to uh, getting to solutions implemented at the speed of need against a very compelling and smart and and and, and dynamic economic and. Uh, military set of competitors and and, uh, and and foes.
0: Well, very good. Thank you both for those uh, introductory uh, remarks. Uh, now let's jump into some of the meat. Yeah, uh, Spaniard. Hey, I'm, I'm going to start with you. Um, ABMS has been on our lexicon uh, for quite a while now, and you already alluded to it. But you know what? What's happening today is different from what happened before. So could you talk a little bit about what has changed from version one, if you will, of ABMS and how those changes are evolving to shape the future of ABMS?
1: You bet. Um, So version one, simply put, uh, we did command and control for big wing platforms that were uh, entirely too vulnerable and we're not gonna survive against really even some of the most rudimentary adversaries we could face, much less a really highly capable adversary. So you look at the J JSTARS, um, which looks predominantly at how it controls air's interaction with the ground. And you look at uh, the AWACS, how it predominantly controls air's interaction with air. And when you looked at those single domain platforms in a very coupled bundled manner, ABMS was born that we can't just build another big wing ISR or command and control platform and think that somehow we're preparing um, the air force to provide to the air component and the joint force a viable fighting capability. And so it was born that we need to rethink this idea of battle management. It then became into, I will call that kind of version one, version 1.5. 1.5 is what it became was, wait a minute, there are commercially available technologies out there that when held up against the military problem set, really forced us to rethink the art of the possible. But our acquisition system didn't necessarily know how to interact with those technologies or maybe some of the non-traditional type vendors or peer commercial vendors. And so under AQ's leadership, and they assigned it to the chief architect office, was to go explore the art of the possible. Is it possible to engage with peer commercial technologies and blend them into a military context to reimagine this thing called battle management? And and after about a year or so of of them running, and this is where you get the classic on-ramps came from, And they ran them, and they came to the conclusion in November of 20, yes, this is possible. So they codified that. They codified that relationship transitioning us into what I call ABMS 2.0, or where we are today. And that was the designation of the cross-functional team, which John and I lead, which we represent the warfighting element of ABMS. And then they partnered us with the Department of the Air Force Rapid Capabilities Office, the DAF RCO, as the lead integrator. And the job is simply this. Reimagine warfighting, create the operational scheme of maneuver, generate the operational requirements. RCO is integrate across the whole of all PEs, PEOs, not just RCO, across the whole, integrate across the whole in order to drive enterprise-level solutions. So today, this partnership is what's yielded the insights that we have now we have three approved acquisition strategies and we can go into those here in in a minute. Um, We have real joint um, progress that we are feeling now with our joint partners. And so we're operationalizing this idea of a reimagined battle management um, every day, which is why I'd say this isn't a 10 years from from now, it truly is a each day. And and what we kind of said in the beginning of this is if you know ABMS today, tomorrow, you won't understand it because we're learning that fast what, where we're going with battle management.
0: I'm going to, this is a, this is an unscheduled uh, Dig. part two. Yes. Um, but it, so it got it in terms of what you just said, uh, but how, excuse me, how's that going to be actualized? Right. I mean, if you're changing at such a rapid rate, right. how do you actualize to be able to put in the hands of those who are out there? capability that can manifest what you're
1: talking about. Right, okay. So we have to do some blocking and tackling. The AVMS Digital Infrastructure Acquisition Strategy gets at the blocking and tackling, which is simply this. We know we have the data. We know we can create the information. Today, that information sits in the wrong nodes. Meaning, I have exquisite intelligence insight that will sit in the IC in the United States that is not making it out to the hands of the warfighter who is having to make an engagement decision off an incomplete understanding. We need the digital infrastructure that allows us to take that information that already exists and simply push it into the hands of the warfighters. So we're doing that now. Now, there's obviously technical obstacles with that. The Digital Infrastructure Consortium kicked off today. And so we are moving this forward now in partnership with industry to build out what a digital infrastructure needs to look like to take this exquisite information and put it into the hands of the warfighter. Second, how a warfighter interacts with information is entirely different, could be entirely different today than it has been. So if you look at the, for most of you who have never sat inside the back of an AWACS, consider yourself lucky because it is unbelievable how difficult that job is with the information systems that we hand are warfighters. And what we know today, if we can pick up any smart device, is the way in which we interact with information is foundationally different. So we now have an acquisition strategy for cloud-based command and control. How do we take the user's interface with information and make it available to them in a very modern, intuitive way so that they can more quickly take a lot of information, translate that into knowledge, and direct an action? And then third is uh, we have an acquisition strategy around what we call capability release one. Capability release one is a pod on a KC-46. The pod on the KC-46 is important, but that's not the real secret sauce. The real secret sauce is that we are starting to take ourselves from a dependency on line of sight, meaning my transmitting um, transmitter has to be in proximity to John's receiver, of which every enemy now is tuned to disrupt that connection. But if I go to the space-based transport layer, which the Space Force is building out for us, now I actually create a far more resilient mechanism to communicate across the whole of the battle space. So capability release one is the payload that delivers us this capability. So these are real capabilities that we're developing now and that we're putting incrementally into the warfighter's hands. You, and you know,
2: know, if you look at it another way, um, JADC2 writ large is the ability to sense, make sense, and act across... All the domains land, sea, surface, subsurface, air, space, cyber, and it's the ability to do that with all the joint services and our coalition and alliance partners in a contested environment all at the speed of relevance. That's simply, um, simply put, what JADZ 2 is. Of course, ABMS is the primary contribution of the Department of the Air Force towards that, but you know, when we look at that breakdown and we look at the Navy's project overmatch, and we look at the Army's project convergence, those don't self-eliminate or, or, or si- assimilate, I should say, rather, or self-integrate. There is no magic pixie dust or universal congonculator. And, and so we're systematically driving and looking at interoperability, and we're looking at a systems-to-systems approach. And I think as we look at uh, this disaggregated, uh modern battle space environment, um, and, and as we do the functional decomposition and look at our kill chain analyses, it's fundamentally clear that technology isn't going to get us there alone. <coughs> you know we, yes we are going to have to have machine uh, to machine to, speed to to be able to react and respond sense make sense act at the speed of need but there's a whole dot mill PFP portfolio that needs to go along with that and support that so I think Those are those are excellent points, and that's exactly what we're driving towards from an integrated, joint, multi-domain perspective.
1: So let me riff on that point. Well, you got to ad lib, so I'll ad lib. Can I ad lib? Yeah. Okay, I'm going to riff on that point. Process matters. Technology is not going to solve it. So let me put this into specific terms in this venue. I just talked about a single kill chain takes us hours to close. We have a target number. We keep it classified. It's much shorter than hours. So what we do is we do, um, we build a model of our current system, we run that model, and then we do excursion analytics. So we did the excursion analytics and said, what if you applied all the magic technical um, pixie dust that you need to make data ubiquitous? Everybody can have it instantaneous, no delays, no filtering. We saw a one-third improvement in our kill chain. We don't scoff a one-third. Now, that's not going to get us hours down, down to minutes, but... But one third's not going to be sufficient. But here's what we did next. What if we stressed the system? Because our adversary is not going to just send us one target and then wait for us to close it and then send us the next. No, they're going to stress us. So we created a simulated environment where we took that kill chain prosecution under a stress system. Under a stress system, which was a, uh, a target reported every couple minutes for a 24-hour period of time. And we looked at what happens to the kill chain and how many of those kill chains can we close within a 24 hour period of time. It was abysmal. The performance was abysmal. But here was the unexpected outcome we applied the technical magic pixie dust and we saw less than a 10% improvement. Actually, reverse what we expected. We expected to see a compounding improvement of technology. And so, when you do the hyper analytics, what you find is the process is killing us. Our current process is killing us. So ABMS is not just looking at technical solutions. We're looking at technical in partnership with process improvements, which forces us to come to terms with some old paradigms if we're really going to move us into the target of of what we believe we have to be. Well,
0: you guys are great because you've already anticipated some of the comments and and answered them because what I was going to say five minutes ago was, I'm not concerned about technology, I'm more concerned about the process and the bureaucracy and frankly, um, the established processes, particularly those involving our intelligence community that have had a a grip on the release of critical information it's necessary by the warfighters. I've personally experienced this mm-hmm. in multiple conflicts. I know it's getting better and there's a realization of that, mm-hmm. uh, but it's wonderful to hear you talk about the fact that that is recognized as we're moving forward with all of these efforts with respect to JADC2. Um, so that's great. Now, General Olson, let me shift back to a little bit more of a specific question just for our audience. Sure to give them some awareness in the context of, of uh, space in what you all do. And when the concept of ABMS, combat cloud, whatever you wanna call it, distributed information uh, first uh, popped up, I mean, it didn't just happen. I mean, it's been going on for, for two decades. There was no Space Force. Obviously with the stand up of the Space Force, and you alluded to it already, Uh, extraordinarily important role, Uh, but could you comment a bit on how we can better understand why space is going to have such an important function in executing uh, ABMS as a foundational element?
2: Sure, absolutely love to. You know, um, the birth date of the Space Force is 20 December 2019, so we're two and a half years into the journey, and as the first service-born digital you know, you heard from, uh, from from General Valencia here, you heard the word data, you heard the word digital, and you heard the word uh, interoperability and people uh, very regularly. Those are fundamentally important drivers for us in the Space Force. And it's, uh, you know, I, I, I'm with you today wearing a couple of hats. So I'm, I'm the Space Force lead for JADC2 and ABMS. But it also happened to be Uh, general raymond's mobilization assistant so i'm a reservist back on full-time active duty and i think i bring 10 years of uh, 10 years of other agencies at nasa and the white house and then 10 years of industry experience in both public and private i think that's really important a little foreshadowing here because we in the space force side for the space elements view the commercial and academia and international and partner uh, contributions and partnerships is fundamentally important to our success because we are lean and mean by design. And when we look at what it means to be born digital, that means to be, um, have a digitally savvy workforce, to have uh, a, a mindset of, of tech and digital savvy uh, culture and, and, and training throughout in a lifelong journey and so for our guardians that's a way of life that's a cultural way of being and our guardian ideal outlines that as well as our vision for a digital service which was re- you know released only back in on the 6th of May in 2021 and, and contained within that we're driving towards digital operations, digital workforce, digital headquarters and digital uh, engineering ecosystem but you know from a broader context if we step back, I'm also the DAF chief data and AI officer. And I think what's fundamentally important here is the ability to sense, make sense, and act is all about turning data into data-driven decisions and information and wisdom and actionable uh, outcomes, acting at the speed of relevance and doing so uh, in a contested environment against a thinking smart peer adversary. And so uh, economically and militarily, by the way. And so as we look at this, uh, it is it is very important uh, for the Space Force to uh, to to recognize the asymmetric challenges given uh, our long pedigree of, of of leadership in space, and we want to continue those forward. And so, in the past, uh, the Space Force has 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 brought some very relevant elements uh, to bear. As part of our current focus in resilient and effective architectures, we're you know, we're focusing on space command and control, both in space and supporting the joint warfighting war, war uh, community. Secondly, data. We have the Unified Data Library uh, as the primary space repository or big data platform for um, our imagery, for our sensors, both commercial and uh, certainly government and, and when we talk about it, we, we view this as a total team sport, the intelligence community across the department, across the joint services. And, and as we've seen uh, in Ukraine, the incredible potency of commercial, of alliance and, and, and coalition strengths as, as, as well as our own. And so bringing those in a fused, actionable sense is, is foremost top of mind. We're doing it today, but we know that we need to evolve and do it much better, much more smartly, and much faster going ahead. Additionally, we also look at tactical ISR. Tactical ISR is vitally important. Now, certainly there's, there's an IC component of tactical ISR, but the Space Force also has an integral uh, contribution in the ta- tactical ISR arena. And finally, as we look at all the other elements that we bring, space data transport brings uh, the, that interconnective fibrous tissue, that networking uh, critical nodal Uh, connectivity that we need in the modern environment that's simply a fact and so it makes it very important to create a resilient space data transport network and capacity. You've seen that also uh, in our space warfighting analysis centers force design we've driven towards model based systems engineering digital threads, so we can do it better more informed with industry models with academic models with threat models to inform us. And we're doing so on a much faster cadence, and so that's how we're taking modern technology, divorcing the past approaches and that, that that are no longer relevant, no longer viable for this modern environment. And we're trying to really insert that at, 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 a, at a at a brisk pace. And we're doing a lot of experimentation and a lot of testing because we know that that yes, failing fast is good, but learning quickly is, is, is really what we want to do. And so that's how we're driving this at, you know, all the way from from General Raymond's uh, top-level directives through the contributions, again, of the Space Transport Networking, Space T2, the Unified Data Library, and, 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 and bringing communications and weather and position navigation and timing, as well as missile warning and missile tracking. All these are fundamentally important. And then as we add uh, MTI, you know, Moving Target uh, uh, Identification, that is is, is is fundamentally important as we deal with the tyranny of distance, whether it be in the uh, Indo-PACOM theater or whether the multivariate challenges around the world.
0: Okay, you talked a lot about digital there, clearly digital infrastructure, is gonna be a key element of ABMS. Can both of you comment on, you mentioned elements, but the importance of digital infrastructure and just exactly what it means.
2: Okay. I'll
1: riff off here. Well,
2: sure. You know, the digital infrastructure is the first components, the first underlying element uh, that upon which we build all of the ABMS or really the JADC2 infrastructure. And so as we as we seek to converge and drive forward on that, it actually starts with a with a comprehensive ecosystem. in, in, in in a digital infrastructure we have the, the we have the storage we have data at rest data in motion data in between we've got structured and unstructured data and 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 we have with with proliferated sensors we have more inputs than than at any time in history and that's only going to exponentially increase with the proliferation and and so we have all the we have all the inputs the data we have the storage and the processing and the compute and we need to be able to do that both from the edge all the way to the core, uh, we need to use the hybrid uh, hybrid mesh cloud architectures, 5G fiber. Uh, we need to use airborne nets, space nets, and that all needs to be integrated. That 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 ties in waveforms, that ties in uh, processing and and uh, storage and recall. When we talk um, the machine side of it, machine to machine requires having data that's the, the, the structured and formatting to leverage AI and ml and deep uh, you know so artificial intelligence machine learning and deep learning uh, techniques and capabilities uh, whether that be for change detection or whether it be for advanced synthetic weather or or tasks that are more functional like uh, scheduling and predictive and preventative maintenance uh, and logistics and the list goes on and on so those are those are the drivers behind the digital infrastructure but when we look at you know what does that really mean? It also requires zero trust in IDEN- ICAM or identity and credential access management. Why? Because at the data and user level, we have to have um, our, our our allied and partners uh, engaged so they can see the right data at the right time. The right information uh, can can be can can be gleaned from that. Similarly, we have to uh, at, at, at the unclassified, the secret, the top secret, or or, or, or higher level uh, levels of compartments, uh, that's, that's, that's vitally important. So we have to have a multi-layer security, develop uh, DevSecOps approach has to be an integral part. It cannot be bolted on at the end. So that's foundationally a part of everything that we do. And we know it's tough enough to do it just between the Air Force and the Space Force within the DAF. And yet we have to do it across the services and across the coalition alliance. Uh, environment as well as with our industry partners, which are so vitally important, plus academia, which is driving this. And so, when you put that together, this is—you know—this is a tough, complex challenge. And as Secretary Kendall will say, you know, our track record for acquisition in C two systems is the worst of any uh, of, of any. It's something like seven percent, and 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 yet this is this is this is not an option as we look at the joint war fighting construct. JadZ2 and, and our ABMS contributions to that are essential for success in this modern uh, environment, this integrated deterrence environment uh, for for the joint warfighting concept to, to, to really be brought to bear. And, and again at the core is that digital underpinning, that digital infrastructure, data which is useless by itself. I think we can all agree on that. It's gotta be data driving data-driven decisions which drive decision and information advantage. And those are, as we look at the joint concept for information advantage, that's exactly what we're driving at when we look at those four pillars of the joint warfighting concept.
0: Okay, great stuff. Now, let me throw a twist in here. Um, How about backup? Where does resiliency come into play? You have actors who are very well aware of the impact of electromagnetic pulse and are not shy or bashful about using an airborne nuke to shut down all this digital infrastructure. You got backups for that?
1: That was a, I was good with you till the last part.
0: <laughs> no, in other words. Okay, so if it, yeah. if you were denied access to the combat cloud, if um, how do you?
1: Op- yeah. So. Um- Okay, so, there's resiliency and then there's um, the, the, the scope of the resiliency. So, um, you know, resiliency comes in many, many right. manners. And so, what, what are we doing? Um, uh, within at least the Department of the Air Force, we're working closely with our joint partners in order to identify the best of the breed and the ability to communicate by way of direct line of sight, i.e., tactical data links. And then where and how to pipe into the space-based transport layer, and that's in partnership with the Space Force, who works with folks like SDA and and, and whatnot. Um, how you build that resiliency in the system comes into the design of the system, and so you know the technologies are changing all the time, and LPI, LPD, um, and and different different. Data links provide you different types of resiliency against different types of exploitation. So it's it's not so simple as to say I can create every data link to be um, sure, uh, universally resilient. But then there's also resiliency in the number of pathways, and so now um, we're in a great joint venture with us in the Navy and the Army in order to um, bring operational technology forward that um, assures a quality of service, which looks at all available pathways and then chooses the best available pathway and, and, and sends your message through that particular wavelength. That's a form of resiliency, even if that wavelength at that moment in time happens to be working, but maybe couldn't be working at different circumstance.
0: Okay, well, look. Let's expand a little bit because both of you
1: have mentioned um, the uh,
0: Army's Project Convergence and the Navy's Project Overmatch, um, and 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 talked about how ABMS can integrate. You know, it was great to hear that integration talk, but you know, here's the question: Who's in charge? Who at the Department of Defense level is overseeing? Uh, the Army, Navy, and Air Force efforts with respect to ABMS, convergence, overmatch, to make sure that, you know, the the services aren't just headed off in completely different vectors and we'll be able to operate in an integrated fashion.
1: Okay, so um, we still use the JROC. Uh, under the previous vice chairman, and then it uh, continued under this vice chairman, was a reimagination of the role of the JROC, less from somewhat of a collaboration venue into a, a directive venue. Um, they created what they call a JROC strategic directive, which becomes extraordinarily specific to us as a services on the requirements that we, that we develop and, and to what design requirements. So, where do they get those from? Um, the J6, leads the JADC2 effort. The J7 leads the the warfighting concepts. We are about the warfighting concepts. JADC2, it is not a warfighting concept. It is a framework to deliver capabilities in order to meet the warfighting requirements as defined by the warfighting, very important, extraordinarily right. important, because we tend to mix that lexicon a lot. Yeah. So if you ask me, to what end? To what end is ABMS is focused with our joint partners to deliver decision advantage through the JADC2 implementation plan in order to achieve the joint warfighting concepts?
2: And I, I would build on that. I think you know when we when we look at it from from a joint staff J6 perspective we've had lieutenant general crawl who's who's been leading that with Brigadier general rob parker both of them uh general crawl is is, is soon going to be transitioning as we look at um our air force our half a 26 uh lieutenant general o'brien is uh is is uh the the proposed um replacement and and lieutenant general o'brien brings a rich and deep understanding uh, from from the entire cyber and intelligence surveillance reconnaissance uh portfolio and the information warfare portfolio she's bringing that to a to to a a jadc2 level of perspective and and that integrating function is fundamentally important you know we have jadc2 reference architecture 3.0 we've the secretary of defense or DepSecDef uh signed uh implementation plan we we we've got uh, a lot of a a lot of good work that has been done to advance the ball there. But I think as we look at the, at at the component level and at the service level, we're really driving um, towards some, 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 some great, Uh, collaborative endeavors and these are not just lip service these are really substantive and i think um, particularly with the department of the navy of course with uh, both the navy and 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 the marine corps and the department of the air force with both the air and space forces i think we've seen a level of cross-com and collaboration uh, whether whether it be our interest in the navy's comms as a service uh, or whether it be in, 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 in some of the waveforms and some of the uh, paradigms for, for, for adoption. I think there's some, some, some great um, collaboration that's begun, and we're going to drive that further. I think what you'll see is is uh, a need. Yes, we need a modular open systems architecture that allows us to evolve at the rate and pace of, of technology, but we also need to have a level of standardization and integration so that we can drive those interoperabilities. And my PhD is in, in systems engineering. So I think you, you break a large problem down into functional pieces, manageable pieces, and you systematically tackle that. And I think that's absolutely the approach that's been taken, but we're gonna, we're gonna accelerate that to, to, to warp speed, if you will, on, uh, on, on this. I think as we drive towards those level of, 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 of specific elements, we can we can talk about uh, the data exchange and the interoperability. So when we look at the sensors and queuing different fires from different services, that's fundamentally important. And to do so at, at, at speed and with accuracy is, is 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 really the toughest part of the challenge. But I also want to tackle one thing you said uh, a little bit earlier. You know, as we look at this resiliency and kind of riffing and expanding on on, on Spaniard's uh, comments, you know, when we look at the pace environment, the primary alternate contingency and emergency, that's 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 that, that's, that's essential in a in, in a resilient and effective macro architecture. And so we're really looking at that. In some cases, uh, we're also cross communicating. Uh, all the way from the service chiefs down through the, the levels of engagement, whether they be a, the, the overmatch senior leaders or the the action officer and subject matter expert level, um, we're, we're we're engaging in these operational evaluations, these exercises where we're really teasing out what works and what doesn't, and where the pain points are, the opportunities for further uh, collaboration and cooperation. So I think as we can as, as we do that, align to the requirements, adding a level of specificity. So this is. This is, this is well beyond uh, the criticisms of, of vaporware or PowerPoint engineering. We are, we are very much focused on, on min-viable uh, products, MVPs, operational capability that leaves us um, real substantive capability improvements at each interstitial level. We're driving uh, and, and leveraging this industry consortium. Uh, to 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 get a rich tapestry of input, inputs uh, from 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 the best and brightest our our our, uh, our our industrial base has to offer. We're also really actively um, driving uh, sprints and and, uh, uh, and 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 collaborative efforts to bring in the best ideas and and, and drive those much more rapidly in, in an agile or scrum approach.
0: That's great. Um, wonderful perspective. The challenge is um, when it comes down to actual application and service doctrines then come into play. I mean, you've got the Army building their own space architecture. I thought that's what the Space Force was here for. Way too complex for this particular discussion, but um, I think you all recognize that there are those challenges too. And there needs to be an 800-pound gorilla that knocks the services into shape in the context of doing the things that you just so well
2: articulated.
0: Well, I think but that's I, another the, you know, that's another discussion area.
2: I I, I think you couldn't be more correct. I would I would even say it a, a slightly different way. I don't think as, as tough and as complex and as comprehensive it is is as, as ABMS or JADC2 writ large or or or, or the joint warfighting construct. I think it's not the technology that's the hardest right. hurdle here. It's 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 the concepts of operations. It's the cultures. It's the people, and 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 when we embrace that, we recognize that, and we address that. And that's 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 not an easy solution, but that is fundamentally important to drive the ops cons to drive that convergence. And that is um, that is easy to say, hard to do, but that is clearly what we're focused on, along with. All these enabling technologies, because certainly we have a significant amount of technical debt, um, and 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 we need to. We, we, I think we fundamentally realize, certainly as a department led by our, our you know Secretary Kendall, um, our legacy systems, whether they be in air, cyber, or space, are not going to be sufficient. They're, they're 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 no longer effective in the in, in, in the modern paradigm. In yeah, what but i
0: I'm, I'm getting to the whole inner service piece, and that's where. You know, there needs to be an authority to make sure that the services, particularly our friends in the army, just don't go off and develop their own systems to be able to operate just in order to be able to control what they have. So let's move off that for a second because I want to leave some time for I don't our audience.
1: I'm sorry. And I'm only going to speak in the context yeah. of ABMS. When I sit with the services, they do not sit cross armed across the table with from me and say it's either my way or the highway. That's not at all how the conversations go. The truth of the matter is each of the services is tailored to a domain that has very specific demands on it that is not always easily transferable to another domain. And so we deal with real technical process, procedural obstacles that are not parochial, but they are very understandable. And so I don't necessarily always want the 800-pound gorilla because there isn't an 800-pound gorilla stamp that's going to resolve it. But if we have the enterprised approach that allows us to drive a resolution to understand where there's a difference and that the difference is, is required, um, that is more helpful to us. Now, there might be a broader narrative there, but I don't necessarily see it.
0: Well, um, I think um, the, your aspirational reality, your, your aspirations are laudable. Um, but the, i'm telling we,
1: you what that's what it looks like when i when
0: i do this people and tell me why the army is developing their own space-based constellation no,
2: well, I'll, I'll address that one because so so the joint requirements oversight council memorandum 029-21 is signed in june of 2021 by general height um that's specifically short and sweet very clear and directed what it says is it says the space force is the lead among the joint services for space requirements simply put and so what that means is as a service our raison d'etre uh, for existence is 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 to is, is is to lead in an integrated way those space requirements and so as we look at that uh as a fundamental responsibility that's driving and shaping and forming but it also gives us the authoritative Guidance and clear directive, as 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 the new and improved uh, JROC process does under General of um, a, a very clear uh, a very clear stance from which to engage in those important discussions. And 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 you know, I think as 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 we look at the fundamental drivers, there it's about responsiveness to the need of the warfighter or the warrior. Um, on uh, on the ground and engaged in in whatever domain and whatever area, and so we're really trying to get after being responsive and supportive um, in in, in the, that domain. So that's first and foremost in, in, in General Raymond and, and 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 the rest of the Space Force, you know, top level directives.
0: I know it's in the Space Force directives, but I go back to the fact that the Army is developing its own space based communications constellation. Um, so well, it, it we're, may be we're your model battle
1: it. management guys. It, it, yeah, I get it. but what I'm, I,
0: again, I applaud everything you all are saying, but I, what I'm trying to induce is a degree of reality when it comes into the actualization of how the other services are operating. And it's great that, you know, at your level that you're seeing cooperation amongst the services, but doctrine uh, has got a big influence in what's what, what's occurring. Before we shift to matter of fact, we're, yeah, we're right on time, but I want to give you both the opportunity to respond to this one. It's it's a pretty interesting open-ended, but please keep it short. Um, what I'm talking about is challenges as well as opportunities. So if each of you could identify the challenge in the context of what keeps you up at night relative to JADC2, ABMS, and then what are the opportunities or highlights that you see out there? Just real quick, kind of Okay.
1: Um, challenge. How do we incorporate uh, technologies that don't um, leave legacy and our allies and partners behind and, and try to leapfrog too fast to the future? Um, opportunity. Model-based systems engineering and using an analytically-based, informed base of decisions has yielded unbelievable insights that is driving an, a, a fantastic unity of effort across the services.
2: Very good. Excellent. From a challenge perspective, uh, from 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 my viewpoint, the, the, the single greatest thing that we have to do is we have a huge amount of work, a huge amount of uh, complex uh, tasks before us, and we, we we need to have the the appropriate resourcing and the appropriate focus uh, to 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 execute that and and and, and in looking quickly. At the opportunity, I mean, the Space Force has been a benefactor of a forty percent budget increase. The Air Force a ten percent increase. Uh, writ large, we, we I'll argue those statistics, but but, but gonna... inflation inflation is also uh, a, a challenger. But but I think that's evidence of the importance of, of of the mission and the criticality of of. of uh, Re- replacing these legacy systems with a re- res- resilient and effective architecture so i view that as an opportunity to really shape the future smartly and we want to do so informed by 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 analytics which we've been doing and and, and model based systems engineering uh is an extraordinarily uh, is potent enabler but but it's also about having the right people and the right people engaged and, and focusing that on actions and outcomes. I think we all uh, are concerned about overclassification and the slowness of the requirement systems and the acquisition challenges. Those are those are well known, but the, the, the real deal is, is is getting people focused on the priorities and leveraging the resources very smartly to execute. And I think that's both a, a challenge and an opportunity here.
0: Okay, very good. All right, let's switch to our audience uh, Q&A. Uh, for those of you who are in the audience uh, you've been around here before Um, if you'd like to uh, uh, ask a question use the raise hand function um, or go ahead and submit your questions using uh, chat which i'll jump into right now Um, here's a question from uh, robert proctor abms initially started as a replacement for JStars. well not completely but to a degree what systems are going to perform this critical role that JSTARS or GMTI performs today,
2: either, either one. Well, I'll take a, I'll, I'll take a first crack at that, you know, both, uh, you know, the AWACS and JSTARS have, have, have been an incredibly important part of our, uh, our, our enterprise for a long time, but they're no longer sufficient. They're also high value, uh, airborne assets. It, it, one might even say, uh, the traditional air operations center is a, is the, uh, Uh, is no longer viable in in the modern contested environment and so we're looking at distributed and disaggregated uh battle management command and control and as we look at uh the ever uh the ever increasing potential of space we're leveraging that um it is a it it is a time phase challenge for us we're looking at uh options uh for uh, for airborne assets and, and, and leveraging that in the transitional period and having a, uh, a resilient and layered approach. I think also, as we look at the multi-service environment um, in, in the Air Force and Army, also looking at high altitude um, uh, b- balloon uh, type capabilities. So I think it's a portfolio approach. And I think you said something that's spot on. We need to make sure that we can have uh, a, a, a an operational, functional Ah uh, capable operational warfighting capability at each at each level. So that's where those min viable uh, product solutions come in, but also the resilient and layered and pace uh, uh, pace informed elements. So it's it's not a single you know silver bullet solution,, uh, but yet it is one that we need to be very deliberate about, very realistic about our acquisition timelines and 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 leverage uh, those those systems that may exist in industry. Uh, or in our partners and allies that we can leverage immediately and and, and drive forward until the rest of I'll mature. be very
1: specific. There's four systems to answer this question. GMTI, my awareness. So we do need a replacement for GMTI. And, there, and there's, you know, exploratory efforts to look at replacement. It's going to probably come from a different type of a platform that's going to give us that information, but it's also from sensor fusion. Is, is we need to cobble together available information better than we do. Second, we need information processing. Information processing is gonna to come to the digital infrastructure um, acquisition strategy. It's gonna look at how we distribute information, where we store it, where we process it, and how we make it available to a system that's under attack. Third, communications. We gotta give our battle managers the ability to communicate with the platforms, and we can't make them reliant on direct line of sight only. Things such as capability release one capability at least one is gonna give them that linkage between line of sight and beyond line of sight and aerial edge network. Also in that um, information processing is how the user interacts with the information. This is cloud-based C2. This is giving them a new set of applications that give them the ability to interact with the information. Finally, the person, the person's not gonna change. Battle management will have a person. That system is- Yeah, one of the
0: questions in the interest of time we skipped is that whole issue of people and making sure that we don't lose that battle management capability as we transition from kind of the old way of doing business new new way to do business now for many years now i don't want to get too far down in the weeds but you know um our advanced fifth generation aircraft both have fifth uh they have gmti capability and part of what many people thought was look let's network that and use it to create a larger picture Mm -hmm. is that part of your we element have
1: number one out of four that yeah, you talked about. We, we have some, uh, so, okay, let me answer the question, Honest, not to yeah. m- misrepresent. We have studies that show the ability to sensor fuse in order to be a replacement to our current AMTI technologies. I do not have a similar study so that GMTI. looks at GMTI.
0: Why not?
1: Uh, only because we, we we have focused right now, we have okay. to do this Please? in turn. And so that's, that's where we focus logic tells me a similar fusion yeah. benefit exists, we have to do that study.
2: Okay. And I would, I would go also one, I, 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 I touch on the people side Absolutely spot on, you know, the people will remain, but they're gonna be in different places and doing different things also, because I think when we look at the the, the requirement, we talked about machine speed, machine to machine, maybe the human won't be in the loop now, but the human will be on the loop. When we talk about uh, LOAC, law of armed conflict, when we talk about ethical decisions, when we talk about processing, general artificial intelligence simply is is not evolved uh, enough. But as we look at responsible AI, And we look at all that that entails from an ethical perspective. The Deputy Secretary of Defense put out five ethical principles from which we founded our Responsible AI. And and with the new Office of Secretary of Defense Chief Digital and AI Office, the CDAO at the OSD level, in my DAF CDAO Office, Chief Data and AI Office, we are focusing on, on Responsible AI. We've named Chief Responsible AI Ethics Officer who has a PhD from Oxford in ethics, but it's also a, a, a two-decade RPA pilot. So he's the perfect blend uh, to bring that to bear. So, but 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 that highlights the fact that people are an integral component of that. And as we think and evolve, uh, that's that that's that's uh, yeah. I think of that's an
0: important point that you bring up. That you know, AI is just like when we introduced remotely potted aircraft drones people thought that the they were these amoral purveyors of death that automatically executed without a human being no that's not the case it's not going to be the case with AI either so thanks for bringing that up sure um in the in the in the few minutes remaining um here's one for Mark Tapper I don't know if either of you guys know uh, tap but I agree with Spaniard's comment that data sits in the wrong nodes there is a cultural challenge. In that the intelligence community, in the intelligence community that will hinder this need for sharing, how's the Department of the Air Force working in the cultural hurdles?
1: Making progress? Question mark. Uh, I, think, I think we are making progress. And, and our a 26 community is really aggressive as really our interface with the IC. There are some cultural issues, but really there's some technical issues as in our systems right now are not secure enough in order to possess and protect the IC's data. On the edge, the ABMS digital infrastructure is built around this requirement so that we can, they don't mind giving us the data, they just ask us to protect it.
2: Yeah,
0: it's a wonderful answer.
2: And I say it's a team sport, you know, it's yeah. cooperate and graduate.
0: Great. Okay. Last question. This is from Mark Gunsinger. Are budget pressures delaying rollout of Air Force ABMS JADC2 capabilities? Could additional resources accelerate the fielding of these critical capabilities? No. Say what? No. Okay. So no resource constraints.
1: Um, I'm I'm saying that the 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 resources that are being made available are are sufficient for where we are going and what we're asking okay. for.
2: I think I think resourcing is an enabler and I think we've communicated that and continue to have that relationship and I think that will uh, that will not be the biggest challenge I think it's again the the, the, the integration the interoperability and the cultural uh, conops development and the people side and I think we're focused on both because that's what it's going to take to win
0: well thank you both this was fascinating discussion and unfortunately ladies and gentlemen we've come to the End of this uh, Aerospace Nation event. Um, uh, Thanks, both of you, General Olson and General Valencia, for being here today. Um, I would like to remind our audience our next event will be a virtual space power forum this Friday, June 24th, with Frank uh, Calavelli, the Assistant Secretary of the Air Force for Space Acquisition and Integration. So we hope you can join us for that. And from all of us, the Mitchell Institute, have a great aerospace power kind of day.